Hey everybody, popping in up top here just to put a little content warning on this next set of episodes. Um, during this game, we do talk about indentured servitude and slavery as it relates to some of the characters in their past. We don't go greatly into it, but it is a theme that kind of runs throughout this entire game um, and like redemption. So you'll see how it plays into it as we get into the game. But I did want to put that content warning up top here. So on with the show. Welcome to Row 2 Play Podcast. I am your game master, Kent Blue. We are an actual play podcast where I play tabletop role-playing games with my friends from all over the world. So if you're ready, grab a player sheet, grab some dice, and let's roll to play. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Roll to Play Podcast. I am your game master, Kent Blue. This week, I am so happy to bring you a game that just blew me away when we played it. It had all kinds of emotions and feelings involved in it. It was just kind of a different gaming experience than I've ever, ever had before. That game is Vigor. Vigor is a game, it's a collaborative storytelling game where it's really about the force and power of human character in the face of corruption and scarcity and oppression. This game is really good. It's coming soon. Actually, I want you to head over to VigorRPG.com. Whenever you go to that website, you can get you can enter your email and kind of stay up to date on everything happening with the game. And it'll also get you into a free quick start guide whenever it releases later this fall. Vigor is created by Jake and Teddy. Incredibly nice people uh, doing an amazing thing with this game. I, I really can't wait for you to get into this episode and hear it. Also joining us was Evan Saff from the Rollout Podcast, a podcast you definitely should be listening to. Uh, right now they have an ongoing game of Mass, the new generation, that is just phenomenal. And I look forward to listening to it every single week, every single week when they release an episode. But before we get into the show, I do want to point you over to Victory Condition Gaming Channel over on YouTube. I was recently on there for a game of Die Laughing, which is by Craig Campbell of Nerdburger Games. I had a great time over there playing this game. It's it's a, it's bringing a horror comedy movie to life. It was so much fun. We had a lot of crazy antics, so definitely head over there and check out that live play. All right, I think I'm done with this intro this week, so we're going to wrap it up and we're going to jump right into this game of Vigor. Uh, That just blew me away, so I had to get it out and into your ears as quickly as possible. So, Ken, what are we playing today? We're playing Vigor. Uh, It is a great game that I've been excited to play for quite a few months since uh, Jake reached out to me about it uh, to get it on the show. Tonight, I, I'm being joined by people who made the game, uh, Jake and Teddy, who made this game, and also Evan Saft of the Rollout Podcast, one of, actually, genuinely one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to weekly, uh, and you should all be listening to it as well. So let's go around. Evan, we will start with you as your, uh, well, we'll just start with you. <laughs> I'm not on the manufacturing of this game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, yeah, uh, I'm Evan. I'm the friendly neighborhood GM on the Rollout Podcast. We do an ongoing masks campaign and one-shots here and there in various systems. 
and I'll let the other guys go because they seem more important. I'm I'm very into this mask game. Uh, equal equal importance. All right, Teddy and Jake, how about you two introduce yourself? Uh, and Jake, I will just let you take the game over because you're going to be running it for us tonight. Sweet. Uh, I'm Teddy. Uh, I, like uh, Kent and Evan and Jake have said, am half of this uh, design team for this game uh, and really just kind of grateful and excited to be here tonight. Jacob? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm Jake. I uh, with Teddy, I'm designing this game called Vigor. Uh, we're currently in um, about to release a beta version of it out into the wider world. So um, everything we say and do on this podcast tonight is predicated on the notion that it may change. <laughs> don't get attached to anything. But uh, hopefully uh, we can still bring you a phenomenal game that's about uh, really at its heart. It's about people. It's about um, who they are, who these characters are, and how that propels them forward into action. Uh, Vigor is a game about the force and power of human character in the face of corruption. Um, it's a game where we ask the question of the players uh, and of their characters, um, do they possess this force of character, the vigor, if you will, to rise above the struggles they face in this world, um, or maybe even to change it? Um, and so we've spent a lot of work trying to put forth um, the the kind of um, person first uh, approach to how we design the game, and so everything that your characters can do should be born out of who they are. Focus on who your character is. Um, each character has uh, we call them role play prompts, and if you were going to say, how do I play this game? How do I play Vigor? My answer would just be focus on the left-hand side of your sheet. Try to do and engage with all of those things in meaningful ways uh, to propel the fiction forward. And a really cool story should hopefully emerge as we all do that with our respective characters and, and storylines and that sort of stuff. So each character has narratives which are kind of both in, a, in the fiction and in a meta sense, what they are wanting to be doing and what we as players kind of want to see them doing. Um, so like they might be really actionable things like I want to, uh, prose has one, I want to prove myself worthy of the title of Ohm. Um, and uh also has a, uh, a narrative of challenging the perception of the Salt Mothers as a fringe cult. Um, and so those are the two things that when prose acts in this game, we probably, at least on some degree, want to see them acting out of. Narratives are what you care about, what you're doing, and what we want to see happening or changing in your character over the course of time as we play the game. Uh, roots are those grounding relationships or principles that your character clings to um, to kind of ward themselves off from uh, corruption and uh, to, to heal their conditions and things like that. Um, the idea being that when we're grounded, when we're rooted in community, uh, we're not isolated and we're reminded of who we are, what we care about and what we stand for. Um, so each character has narratives, things that they're about, they have roots, the place where they're from, and what, what their grounding principles are. And then they have natures, 
natures are just they're they're um their it factor they're like what makes them them their instincts their um approach their kind of modus operandus um in gameplay they kind of come out in the wash almost like skills because when you are doing a thing where you're rolling the dice you can look to your natures and say do any of my natures really apply here and if you can invoke that on the dice roll uh, you'll get that nature's bonus if it's a moving toward a positive thing but you also get that um, nature's penalty if it's more on the left hand column so if you see those there there's like a minus three minus two minus one and then a plus one plus two plus three natures narratives and roots role play prompts form the primary uh, advancement mechanic in the game so um, in other words if you are going to become a more uh, if your character is going to be better at getting results on their roles, uh, we actually have to see them develop as a character. Um, so as you play out these things, your narratives, roots, and natures, your roleplay prompts, you'll get advancement points. Once you fill your advancement point tracks, you can um, gain a different sorts of advancements, either special abilities, you can increase your qualities, you can add new natures or these sorts of things. But particularly the natures are a dynamic sort of advancement. They can move up that ladder, going from a minus one to a plus one to a plus two, and they can move down it from a plus one to a minus one to a minus two. If they move up the track all the way and top out, they become a quality, and you get to add one to one of your qualities. If they move down the track all the way, they become um, entrenched and subtract from one of your qualities. And that's pretty much how you play Vigor. You care about what you care about. You do the things that your character is about. Uh, and we see how the fiction develops out of that. Any questions on that front? I don't think so. That is that is very cool. I like all of that. <laughs> Great. Well, I hope it comes out uh, half as good as we play through it, which I'm sure it will. <laughs> Everything's always a lot better once we actually start playing the game and <laughs> stop talking about the game. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, speaking of playing the game... Um, are we all feeling good, ready to dive into um, kind of the opening scenario? Well, I'll, I'll basically, I'll narrate a little bit of the opening for us. We're going to collaboratively establish a few things about the world that we play in, because this is, it's, it's more of a collaborative game. It's not like GM versus players. So I'll establish a kind of an opening scene. We will collectively establish some things about the world, and then we'll choose some characters and throw you into it. Cool. Sounds good to me. Righteous. Let's talk a little bit about what's happening here. In the kind of movie in our heads version of this game, we actually, I should back up just a touch. Uh, I need to talk to you about a couple of things with regards to this world um, before we actually dive into the scenario. The world that you inhabit as leads in this story um, is old. And a lot of people say that it once was verdant and fruitful. But according to some people, a force called the corruption has crept over the land and spoiled both its terrain and its inhabitants. Uh, whatever they were before, and that's largely up to us, these territories that we now exist in are known only as the barren wastes. It's a desolate landscape 
It coughs up precious few resources and demands the utmost wit, strength, and force of character from any who would seek to survive in it. Whatever tools and garments you have at your disposal are largely crude and improvised or painstakingly crafted from whatever raw materials you could scavenge in the lands. Basically, scarcity reigns. Um, and, in fact, even if some viable resources are discovered in the wastes, they're usually quickly locked down and monopolized by whatever kind of reigning local or regional powers are running the rule uh, in that particular area. Um, one of the biggest and most far-reaching one of those is called uh, simply the hierarchy. Effectively, a, a human enterprise that has a lot better technology, a lot more people, a lot better organization than anyone else out here. And it's survival of the fittest. And they usually are the fittest. Um, so effectively... These two powers, kind of the corruption and the hierarchy, combine to enforce an almost oppressive scarcity upon the people of the barren wastes. Um, and that scarcity breeds both community and contempt. So, right, like there's a lot of sharing, there's a lot of community, because if you don't have something, the easiest way for you to get it is to share it with someone else with what they have. Uh, but then there's the flip side of that argument which says no the easiest way is to take it from someone else um so scarcity breeds community but it also breeds contempt and a lot of our stories in vigor in the barren wastes are going to um kind of ping between those two poles those folks with whom you have close alliances and those with whom you have hostilities and that sort of thing cool kind of a kind of apocalyptic uh wasteland situation um I suppose I should say that um, this is just one of the settings for Vigor. Um, it is effectively a variable setting game. This is just the one that we have the most work done on. So it's the one we're going to play in. Well, that sounds good to me. Cool. So after talking about scarcity and corruption and how there's nothing here in this land, uh, we want to raise the curtain on our uh, scenario for tonight which is actually picking up in one of the few uh, moments of respite and celebration over the course of a given season. Um, and uh, that's called the Festival of the Bloom. Um, so let's get into it. In the movie in our heads version of the game, we fade up from black, this kind of helicopter shot, uh, weaving along a winding river basin through a slender desert valley toward these distant mountain ranges ahead to the east. Uh, from this high vantage point, you can see a stream of travelers, thousands of them like ants marching toward those looming mountains. Families, clans, caravans of people leading squeaky carts along this road they've traveled for generations. And this is a joyful march uh, because through this valley, just beyond the mountains, lies the Festival of the Bloom. The shot moves ahead of the travelers. The line of sight breaks over the peaks of the mountains onto the rocky shores of the Bloom Coast. The scene on the expansive beach is one of carnival frivolity, a sprawling coastline littered with eager wasters from every walk of life, allies and rivals alike. The Festival of the Bloom marks the one week of the year that the kelp blossoms in the shallows of the Eastern Sea. And not only is the seaweed itself a critical resource for people throughout the waste, but the marine life 
that it draws to the coast presents the best chance of accessible food and raw materials that a lot of these wasters will see, maybe in their whole lives. And there are a few dozen shanties scattered throughout the festival where kelp and other catches can be dried, smoked, salted, otherwise preserved. Rows and rows and rows of merchant tents with goods and services on barter. And that's kind of the scene uh, where we start. Um, and then we'll zoom in here in just a second uh, among these teeming masses on a few persons of interest, notably you lot. Um, but I want to establish a little of some of the finer trappings of our aesthetic. What's going on here at the festival. So um, this is the part where we talk together. Um, <laughs> group project time. The um, I mentioned before this idea of, of the hierarchy, right? Um, as this kind of like mobile uh, force uh, out there in the in the wastes, uh, and they, they would largely serve as kind of a like kind of the main governance, if you could call it that, right? It's not like it's not like they are a government, so to speak, but they pretty much rule might makes right sort of situation. Um, so, but I, so I want to establish kind of what the role of the hierarchy and its interplay is with um, this other authority organization here, um, the Council of the Bloom, basically the folks who set up this festival and make it happen. Um, I'm curious as to how you folks see the interplay of these two factions represented here. Are they working together? Are they more adversarial roles? Uh, is there kind of resigned understanding or an underlying resentment? Uh, what do you think is interesting with respect to that? And I can unpack that more uh, however you want. Um, for me, I think it's interesting if they are working together. Um, not necessarily that they, the two, um, the, the two factions or whatever get along all the time, but for this moment, they are working together uh, for just for the sake of the festival. I, I can sort of see it as, that the hierarchy permits the festival mm-hmm. in the sense that they know that it would do more ill than good for their own interests to try and control it. If they offer it as a reward or, you know, a, a symbol of their, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the opposite of gratitude, um, their graciousness, that's like a social program yeah it's 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 appeasement absolutely yeah cool yeah i can see them getting something out of it though like uh, under the table or something like so they're working with them and they're letting it happen but i imagine that they probably want something else out of it other than like peaceful populace what is it do you feel like they get out of this uh, anybody I feel like there has to be some sort of tithe attached mm-hmm. yeah love it yeah tithe or ooh is it is it like a, so we don't really have a money system here but we certainly are talking about a uh, a place where there is a l- huge sudden burst of plenty um so there could be a tithe from that there could be a tithe from like workforce and that sort of stuff if we wanted to go that route um what do you think um, hmm. so my thought on this, to, not to jump in, uh, is that 
there's probably a very known time limit on this festival mm. yeah, in the yeah. sense mm-hmm. that this, you know, this occurrence of algae blossoming and the influx of marine life that it brings in is known to only, you know, it only lasts a very short time. So it's less a matter of being able to collect all of it as much as it is being able to collect as much as you can in that time frame. Mm-hmm. So the tithing that's offered is people willing to work the whatever um, processing and collection for the hierarchy and the portion of their time is spent directly to benefit the hierarchy. Gotcha. Cool. I love that. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Okay, cool. Um, in addition to that, uh, like, so they're working together. Um, is that like, which of these two powers is kind of perceived here to have the greater uh, presence or authority? Do you think? I think the hierarchy would have, I, I think they have more of the authority like presence, um, even though it's like, even though it's the council of the blossom or sorry, council of the bloom. That's, that's kind of putting everything on and running everything. I think that they're the, you know, people, the hierarchy definitely like stands out more as being more, um, they're not making decisions, but they're definitely there when decisions are being made. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. So it's all like, you kind of have to get the nod from them, whatever's happening. Um, so it sounds like they have like kind of an oppressive presence here at this, not, it's not necessarily just that like they've got a few kind of peacekeepers here to make sure everything goes according to whatever it's more like they're kind of just like watching and all all around yeah yeah um yeah i could see them having a few plants in the council too (laughs) like yeah yeah, it just it seems like something like if you are obsessed with control on that level you probably have placed a few key people and it's sort of done under the guise of keeping things efficient yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I, think, I think it's interesting if, like, even, like, like really important members of the hierarchy, like, some of the more important ones show up uh, are, at the, are at, it, at the event as well. Mm-hmm. They don't just send out their uh, kind of, I guess, well, not police force, but something like, you know, they're, they're, they're forced there to, to be a presence there, but they actually show up. They make, they make appearances and show it's, up there. It's not just the underlings. Yeah. Cool. That's uh, intimidating, I'm sure. Um, what uh, what sort of conflicts or bad blood have resulted from this clash of powers? Teddy, you were talking about um, even the hierarchy having some plants on the council, right? Yeah, I guess. I guess to me, I wonder if like the basic like per- festival attendee would even care or or be aware of it, you know. Yep. Uh, like I imagine other people on the council who maybe weren't, um, on the hierarchy's payroll, so to speak, would be aware. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know offhand. Like, it seems like if it's been going and working that probably people are just like keeping their head down and letting this thing keep happening. But I'm, I'm open to other (laughs) possibilities. What if like there's, there hasn't been one, like you know this time but i feel like in the past there was definitely 
one extreme circumstance, which is why they've sort of come to the tenuous agreement that they have now. Like there was one time where infighting ended up missing, like, or completely shutting down uh, collections. One of these festivals. So it's a, yeah. Yeah. I love that. So, so there's like the, look, we can't have another disaster like that again. You need this protection so that we keep the peace so that people aren't people are focused on getting the kelp not dominating each other or whatever you know yeah, yeah. so sinister <laughs> how the wheels of these machines spin i mean you gave us a, a faction called the hierarchy i mean yeah yeah we <laughs> yeah. uh, did kind of play our cards <laughs> Wait till you meet Minister Sinister. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at my character sheet. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm just jotting down a couple of notes here. Including Minister Sinister. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's clearly... I mean, like, that's what people call the, like, hierarchy higher up who's actually here, right? <laughs> yeah. They all refer to them as Minister Sinister. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think, I, I, yeah, I think, like, I like it if that person, like, um, they don't know when this person is going to show up, but but everybody knows this Minister Sinister is definitely going to make an appearance at some point, but it's, like, kept really secret. Oh, when, man. When yeah. 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 And, and you know the children have rhymes about it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Love that. And Minister Sinister definitely has a long, flowing red cape. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. And blue skin and red eyes. <laughs> no. <laughs> no? Wrong game? Wrong Sorry. game. <laughs> awesome. This is all lovely. Um, <laughs> I did not intend for us to create such a perfect antagonist right off the bat. Um Minister Sinister is obviously uh, this person's like uh, given name collo- at birth, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not a position. <laughs> Colloquial name. Oh, okay, that's different than I said. <laughs> sorry, sorry to no butt you there. Um, um, I mean, I could see Minister being their given name. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes, Minister. What's what's their real name, Minister? Do they, does it? Does anyone really know? Ooh, do they? Oh yeah, I like that. This doesn't seem like the person who would like give out their home address. Cool. Well, I have plenty of, of good uh, notes down here then. <laughs> uh, and uh, that's. Uh, it sounds like we have a pretty good like handle on what uh, what the scenario is here at the Bloom Festival. Um, what I want to know now is on a more personal level, what your characters um, believe about the world and the corruption and that sort of stuff. Cause it's, it's not written in stone, nor is it like, it's not written in stone in the book in terms of like how we define it. Uh, and it's not necessarily agreed upon um, in gameplay either. Like there's not a consensus about what happened before. There's not a consensus about even what's really happening now. Uh, and you can play to extremes on that if you like. Whatever your game is, you make your game. That's fine. But I think it's fun if there's gray area that we can explore uh, together. Um, and that makes my role as the as the stitch more fun because I get to kind of 
pool these different little beliefs in here and there. Can I just oh. say that that's yeah. an excellent GM name? Oh, thanks. oh yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. We it took a long time. Cool. Well, let's let's zoom in a little bit more on a personal level. Um, do you, do you folks want to pick characters now before we do this, or um, I think so. I think it would would sure. help me kind of get into the world if I knew a little more succinctly who I was jumping into. Cool. Let me give you just a quick introduction of all these characters, kind of in exposition <laughs> terms. Um, obviously, you have the. Uh, um, we call it a sketch um, on the character sheet, which is just not an actual drawing, but a like a verbal uh, written sketch, uh, what your character is and about and that sort of stuff. Um, as you look at them on the desktop here, top left is Vesk. Vesk is a former hierarchy enforcer who was beaten and left for dead by their superiors for failing to meet forced labor quotas. Um, so there's a kind of a sense with that character of like, loss and guilt and um, trying to redeem themselves probably or just trying to get revenge however you want to take that or play with it up to you um, their main focus is going to be on more well their main focus is going to be on those themes uh, physically they're best at uh, being strong <laughs> Um, Rance is a uh, is on a mission from a school of monks called the Untroubled Waters, uh, who are studying the corruption and its relationship to various bodies of water. Um, Rents picked up uh, on on their way to the festival here, happened upon the hapless form of Vesk somewhere, bloodied and beaten in the bushes, and the two have struck up at least. A camaraderie uh, long enough to get to the bloom. Uh, they have a little bit of history together, but Rents isn't really the sort of person who tries to cultivate much in terms of uh, relationships um, because they're so focused on their work. So, scholarly person who has actually a little bit of a, a magic ability. I should say the magic that we use in this game is called the dust. Um, the connection to kind of like the wisdom and protection of the world kind of uh, in the lore of the world we've set it up that the dust exists as kind of a, a counterpoint to the corruption that the world has tried to heal itself but it cannot do it alone um, so there's that um, and then Prose. Prose is a um, a younger person uh, who is here as, as many many different people in leadership are because it's a big to do um, Pros is kind of uh, next in line to take over the leadership of a uh, group called the Salt Mothers who um, believe that where they are from, the Salt Flats, uh, the Salt Flats have a kind of mystical and uh, life-giving force within them. And Pros is here to kind of prove themselves worthy of this kind of stately title and also to challenge the perception that they're their salt mothers are some sort of fringe cult whether they are or aren't who knows but prose does not want that being perpetuated um and prose is here with the current ohm so at least for now uh do any of those characters appeal to any of you in particular which one would you like to go for um i was leaning towards vesk if no one else was 
Totally cool. Um, in a similar fashion, I based largely on on the excellent name there. I'm I'm really in for prose. Love Sweet. It. Great. And Teddy gets to play against type and play a snuffy, scholarly happily, happily play Renz. <laughs> I Great. accept this challenge. <laughs> cool. Well, I want to start with a little bit of a like background of your character that you're going to create here um, together. Um, and this is actually going to simultaneously help us uh, create the world at least in terms of what some people believe about it. If you zoom in on the notes section of the desktop in Roll20, I've got four questions there, four little prompts. Um, you can answer this in character, like with a scene um, from your character's point of view, and we can each play any of these like uh, kind of NPCs if you want to do it like a scene, or we can just kind of round table it, uh, whatever. But I'd like for each of us to pick one, um, Obviously, I'm, I'm not necessarily playing a character in, in the terms of a lead character here, but um, I'd like for each of you to pick one and, and riff on it. We've got, uh, just for the listeners at home, um, these four prompts are going to help us to uh, give a little flavor about your characters, but also uh, set up some beliefs that exist in the world about the world before and about the corruption. So one of you, your grandmother used to tell you stories about the world before. How did she describe it? And did you believe her? The second prompt is, a wandering peddler once tried to hawk you an artifact that they claimed was before the time of the corruption. What was it made of? And did you barter for it? If so, what thing of great value did you give away to gain this treasure? The third prompt is, someone close to you bears a scar from an encounter with an aberrant. What is strange about their world, about their wound? And what about their story most haunts you? And the last prompt is, there is a place near where you grew up to which you were told never to go, that the corruption had fully spoiled it. What danger was said to lurk there? And did you ever go to find out for yourself? Um, so just the first person who wants to speak up, take that either as a scene or just talk to us about it. Um, but I, it'd be cool if you could do it kind of from your character's perspective as a way to kind of get into character a little bit and create your own background. Does anybody have one they prepared looking at? I kind of jumped out and grabbed a character first. So if anybody wants to <laughs> grab a question first, you know, we can snake draft this. Which would put Teddy uh, first. <laughs> uh, that's that's uh, acceptable to me. Um, boy. I think I want the last prompt. Um, okay. So, uh, so, like, my character's thing is that they're studying uh, the corruption and its relationship to water. And I imagine that there was some motivating factor that drove them to join this, like presumably um, somewhat, you know, secluded reclusive band of monks. Uh, you know, not everybody 
in this world of nothing decides that like scholarly pursuits is the cool thing to do. Uh, so I, I, I feel like I have a pretty clear drive to fix this problem and like root out corruption. And this seemed like the clearest path for me. Uh, so, yeah. So I'm going to say that when I was young, um, there was like, um, like a swamp, a marsh, bog, some sort of like deep, dark, moldy armpit of the already kind of armpitted world. And uh, it wasn't really just the danger that was said to look there, lurk there. Uh, it was that like on any given night, like our entire village might suffer the same like horrific nightmare. Uh, and so people would have these like shared waking uh, again, just like night terrors. And in those night terrors, you'd get visions of these like just foul, like otherworldly beasts, like somewhat animal form, but not anything discernible and certainly um, less friendly than your friendly neighborhood, you know, picnic basket bear. Um, and so I think the answer, did I see it for myself? Like, no, not in person, but these like night terrors were just such a part of our, um, village that, yeah, like I saw something for myself. Awesome. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. I love that shared night visions. Oh, wait, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have to ask like why we didn't like move and that's like <laughs> well, a story for it. That's like a story for another day. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but where were you going to move to? It's, yeah. The devil you know versus the devil you don't, right? I love that idea of, of like staying somewhere where you know something's wrong or not not quite, you know, it's not ideal, but people choose to stay there. So yeah. it's like this aspect of, of what is it that's keeping them there? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's a really, it's a point that really hits home for me. Like I, I live in Appalachia in like coal mining country and everyone in the surrounding towns, like you, they, they don't have jobs or they, if the jobs that they have, they've either like created for themselves or they work, you know, hours drive outside of town. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's that whole sort of thing, right? It's just yeah. like, why, why do you stay? What, what keeps you there? <laughs> it's your roots, man. Yeah. That's what it is. Um, Cool, 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 cool. And I like too that I felt I felt rents uh, used kind of some of your natures there too. I was feeling that intimate knowledge of corruption, mm-hmm. um, like yeah, from again, that kind of whether it's neighbor. like real or not mm-hmm. uh, remains to be seen. It's largely based on uh, horrible, sweaty dreams. But yeah, yeah. But that's one of the things that we very real to me. Yeah. Reestablish now about the, the corruption almost is that like there was a whole village who was having the same nightmare about being overtaken. Yeah. It kept us close to each other. I bet. Sharing sleeping bags. <laughs> cool. Um, anyone else want to take a prompt here? Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's my turn. Um, based on our snake draft. This so. is also a very potent brew in the world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's snake juice. Uh-huh. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> so, 
Someone close to me bears a scar from an encounter with an aberrant. And that is, in fact, the current ohm. Mm. Oh, cool. So Wicked. Yeah. I was a servant. I was a slave, for lack of a better term, as indentured servitude does not really describe anything better than that. And my self was bartered for by the current ohm. It's how I was freed from the, well, freed is a objective term when the hierarchy is still so enclosed in my life. But, and when I was given to her, I was given a choice whether or not to join them or not. And at first I, my immediate impulse was to run from another group, but the Ohm showed me uh, the wound that she bore, which what was strange about it, it was a hole directly where her heart should be that she had packed with salt. Oh God. That's amazing. Wow. And she told me of how she encountered this beast, this creature, this force, which even now I I have a hard time understanding it because every time she tells the story to another, it seems like there's some detail that I, that I misremembered or, or missed in some way because it, I can't conceive of the shape of it, but it struck her through the heart and left her lying in the salt plains. And yet she did not perish. The salt chose her. And now that it's been talked that when whatever force driving her has finally had its course that I will take her place. What really scares me is that if something that dramatic was her call, was her, was the sign of her faith of her, of the salt choosing her, what place do I have to step into that role? Righteous. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) That's so great. All right, so up to me. Okay. So I can kind of define this world however I want, right? With, I mean, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All right, so my grandmother used to, she would tell tales to, to all of the kids, all the young kids that would gather up around, around a fire uh, outside the camp, and she would, Every night she would tell just these stories, these elaborate, outlandish stories of the world before. Um, that's what she always called it. She, she never once in her life mentioned corruption, the corruption. She just never mentioned it. She always just talked about the world before or just before. And she would describe the, it just as, as a world full of color. Uh, uh, it had life breathing through it. I mean, you could feel the life life on the on the air and hear it in the in the trees you could just hear it everywhere and they were just uh just big 
beautiful, graceful creatures that roam the land, uh, just just eating from the tops of the trees. And just these pictures she would paint, and she would kind of she would kind of draw in the dirt a little bit in front of her too, uh, try try to draw these creatures. Uh, that's mostly what she talked about was the creatures, uh, just these t- enormous enormous uh, six legged things that just grazed the land and um they they weren't violent you could you could walk amongst them and and even the babies were were as as tall as 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 she was as as a as a grown adult and she would just describe these creatures and because she could she kind of sketched them in the sand she would always kind of sketch them a little differently so we never really knew whether to believe her but i did i believed every word she said of it because at night I could I would lay just in in my sack, uh, just looking up at at the stars, and just imagining that all the wasteland around me wasn't there. That it was this, it I was laying on on thick grass, and the trees were overhead, and these creatures were. I could hear them. I didn't even though she never talked about what they sounded like. I could hear them off in the distance, and I would just imagine these creatures. Beautiful. That's great. That's, there's so much hope in that. <laughs> I love that for Vesk. Yeah, and and years later, I get left for dead. Well, you know, <laughs> made it. <laughs> I like the idea that maybe uh, Vesk, as you were kind of like fading from consciousness, you saw like Rents approaching you, and in your like blurred vision, it looked like a six-legged <laughs> creature. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, we never find remains of them or anything, so it's. Uh, even though there's there's no proof, like physical proof that that uh, that Vesk has ever seen, he 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 believes those creatures were real. Awesome, I love it. Have you uh, have you told anybody like outside of your home clan, or like are these stories that you keep secret? Um, I think they're secrets I keep to myself because uh, you know, as I going into the heart of being a former uh, enforcer that. It never felt a place for for like fantastical tales, and that's yeah. kind of you know even if they even though I believe they were in truth, they felt fantastical. So, yeah. and it's that little that 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 last grasp of like childhood and like pureness of that time <clears throat> that that vest just has his claws dug so deep into. Totally. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's beautiful that this person has gone through what they've gone through and emerged out still with this childlike sense of like and wonder and positivity. Yeah, it's in those last moments before sleep, before sleep washes over them that that they close their eyes and they hear these these creatures in their mind, and you know, then they go to sleep and wake up and face face the day. That's awesome. I think best. Um, we should change one of your roots from this one about Lark's journal to something about your, your grandmother or these stories or that sort of stuff. Cause it sounds like a really grounding thing for, for Vesk because that sounds like something that really matters to Vesk. And that's great. Uh, and if any of you, as you've kind of started into your characters here, see any of your role play prompts that you kind of want to change a little bit, feel free to do that. Um, I'm going to take the last one here. This is a scene of the minister um, oh. who is in a relatively higher up position in the hierarchy, but not like the top, top, not the minister. Um, they, um, they wander out each night from their bunk and they look out over the, uh, the territory where the hierarchy's camp is um, near near the foothills of these mountains. And 
they think to themselves, one day, these will be my mountains. And on this particular night, they see a small torchlight off in the distance, wandering by through the mountain pass. Uh, And they clamber down as best as they can to remain unseen and unheard. And they follow the torchlight. And they stop the person uh, to whom it belongs once they find them. Uh, And they say, don't you know it's unsafe to travel these territories at night? You may get picked up by the hierarchy. Uh, And they're like badge kind of glints in the torchlight. This is the peddler then um, basically barters um, with the soon-to-be minister for his life. Um, And in exchange, he hands over a cape. It's red (laughs) silk flowing and it's embroidered with uh, these various sigils. Um, And no one no one has seen this kind of silk in this world. It just simply doesn't exist. And if any textiles are brought up and unearthed from the world before, they're by no means this pristine. But this one was. And as the minister held it in his hands, he felt it warm against the cold night, and it hummed to him. And... He tucked it into his coat and sent the peddler on his way and returned to camp. Within the next few seasons, he rose through the ranks at lightning speed, and he attributes his success to at least his he attributes his success to his own um, <laughs> je ne sais quoi, his own force of character. But deep down, he questions whether it's only the cape and will it someday turn on him. Yes. Cool. Oh, I um, love it. <laughs> are, are we ready to, to crack into the story here? Yep, I am ready to go. Cool. With all that we've established bit of your character stuff, a bit of the uh, opening scene. Um, we're here at the Festival of the Bloom. Uh, there are people dotted all along the beach, some in large crowds, some, you know, kind of scattered here and there. Um, hierarchy enforcers patrol around. The uh, Bloom Council's kind of headquarters, I suppose, uh, are in a uh, in kind of like a pier uh, a tented pier that kind of goes out into the shallows there um, and they have you know lots of uh, a lot of a lot more presence of the authority and guards and that sort of stuff out in that way as the uh, higher-ups kind of work on finalizing the opening festivities and, and, and all of that um as we zoom in 
on the action, we get a look at uh, a few persons of interest uh, here for the festival. At one of the smoke shacks near the rows of merchant tents, uh, two figures, Renz and Vesk, sit sharing a blanket half buried in the sand. Uh, Renz is a spindly, angular-looking character. There's a few strands of freshly harvested kelp laid out on their lap and studiously scribbling a well-worn uh, leather journal uh, as they examine the seaweed. Uh, and meanwhile, Vesk, of a considerably larger frame, sits cross-legged with a creased, uneasy brow, uh, ruminating on a hunk of mealy brown bread and lost in some unsavory memory. Vesk is bloodied and bruised in many places, wounds still fresh from the state in which Renz found them, bleeding in the bushes somewhere along the way to the festival. Vesk winces, um, as he makes to stand and get a better eye on the source of a quickly gathering crowd in the market rows. Uh, Renz seems to take no notice, uh, keeping a pointed nose squarely down in their research. At the same moment, toward the opposite end of that same row of tents, two ornately dressed figures glide haughtily past the clamoring merchants. Merchants are all vying for the patronage of folks who appear to be such opulent potential customers. Uh, and this, if she were being truly honest, is all that the Ohm had hoped to achieve with this stately stroll among the seemingly lower classes. Not so much the buying as the impression that she could. Um, and ever by her side, dressed in an almost like cosplay feeling replica of the Ohm herself, <laughs> is, um, is a young girl prose um who watches the omen intently as she works the crowd uh, taking in her uh, grace and her presence um and the pair stop in front of a large charcoal gray tent prose the ohm stoops down very close to you uh, and speaks softly calmly despite the surrounding bustle she says I'm afraid this is where I leave you for now, dear. And she looks at you intently for a lingering moment. She strokes your cheek. She opens her mouth as if to speak and then stops short. And then briskly rises and turns to go into the tent. But she turns her back one last time and calls out to you. Be a clever girl now and Run and find something useful to occupy yourself with until I'm finished. Yes, great mother. She nods and uh, pushes her way through the flap and into this charcoal uh, tent. Um, Vesk, you uh, see kind of this big scene in front of you. Um, all of these various folks clattering, clamoring in the market square. Um, and it's caught your attention largely because you recognize someone. And that someone is a certain prose. Um, who was in your charge um, in her time in the hierarchies 
let's say, care. Um, Prose and Vesk, what was the nature of your relationship when you knew each other from within inside the hierarchy? Was it like really bad terms? Was it, you know, was Vesk instrumental in prose being released or somewhere in between? What, what do you think? Um, uh, if you agree, Evan, I like somewhere in between. Sure. Um, I think, I think, you know, you, it, regardless of your own feelings are always going to be a symbol of the authority. So there was no way that I would ever regard you as really friendly because there was too much fear in that. Um, but there was a knowledge that of the work tasks that you could be assigned to, um, yours was a better one or at least a likely better one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I was, I wasn't, I was never, uh, hard on anyone to you know. I, I, I kind of, I think that there was a, a kind of a mutual understanding that, that I, I expected everyone to, to work like they were supposed to. And, everybody kind of understood that and we we kind of had an understanding um but if i mean if the work wasn't being done you know then i would have to you know urge it along but i was never i would i never stepped out of out of bounds or i never i never um uh, used my position like in any way so. if i may suggest something um Pros, or myself knowing of this, um, often sang to keep the other workers on pace um, in a way to, like, give something for the other guards to focus on rather than our own work, but something for the other workers to focus on instead of their work to focus on the song. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, Vesk never never saw saw the songs as, as getting in the way of the work. So there's nothing that Vesk ever, ever, ever felt like needed to, to be stopped. Awesome, and it made it made and you know it made just kind of the songs kind of made everybody in the in the area feel just a little bit better. Music is powerful, like that. Yeah. Um, cool. I love that. Um, so, um, Vesk, you know, you recognize this girl, um, and pros, you know, you've been in this whole, uh, uh, scene with the Ohm. There've been hundreds of eyes on you, mm. but now you feel like someone's really looking at you, right? Like it's not just this passing glance. It's this like memory um and a feeling of being watched um yeah play on what uh what are you guys up to so i think i'm a little um i'm watching i'm watching it pros uh and i'm not sure that that if once she knows me how this is going to happen because I, i was this authority figure you know at the end of the day no matter 
personality or whatever. I was this authority figure over this group of people. So as, as I take notice, I get this real kind of apprehension, like anxiety in my chest, because I'm not sure how, if, if, if pro sees me, how this interaction is going to play out. Can I ask a quick question? Uh, so Vesk and I have been traveling together for at least some time. So I kind of assume I would have asked this. Uh, are you given uh, your relatively unsavory departure from the hierarchy? Are you trying to hide uh, your past life? Like, are you concerned that pros might out you right now? Or are you relatively comfortable with being like X hierarchy and still being alive? You know what I mean? I think with just the relative, um, the recent, you know, beating and being left for dead, I think that I am operating a little bit under, under, you know, cover a little bit because yeah. I mean, if, if these enforcers have beat me once, they'll, they'll surely beat me again, you know? Sweet. Okay. Um, so in, in what's initially an attempt to sort of throw off that that feeling, um, because in at first I just think it's the weight of of glances now that now that they have only myself to focus on rather than the ohm, um, and I go about the duties that were prescribed to me or that I'd thought we should do, which is visiting the different tents and gifting them with uh, a packet of salt for preserving um, blessings of the great mothers. And in, in the same way, telling of our, when, where, where our own um, containers could be found, where um, offerings could be given if they found it suitable. And as I'm going about this, I can't shake that feeling. Um, and it's at that moment that I glance across and see Vesk. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Visit Roll2PlayPodcast.com for more information. R-O-L-L-2PlayPodcast.com Like us over on Facebook at Roll2PlayPodcast. Follow us on Twitter at Roll2PlayPod. Have a question or comment? Email us at Roll2PlayPodcast at gmail.com. If you want to play with a game with us, just hit us up on any of our social media and let us know. And lastly, our music is the intro track from the Spellbreaker EP by Tritachion. Visit soundcloud.com slash tritachion.